It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Hey everybody, good to have you with us once again. A slate of interesting dynamics. This week, uh, former Ravens dominating the program. <laughs> for all you Broncos fans, I, I had to make That's that connection. Funny. Just yeah. for the promotion, uh, as uh, Shannon Sharp taking on the Memphis Grizzlies, <laughs> will be on the program. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to start off with what's happening in this Ed Reed story. Uh, yeah. So, starting from the beginning, Kirk, for the most part, everybody was excited uh, for Ed Reed to get an opportunity. He'd been working with his alma mater uh, on staff uh, as yeah. a motivator, uh, as a guy that sets uh, the standard uh, for. The championship days, 20 years <laughs> gone by. <laughs> right. And, and obviously for defensive backs, particularly safeties, he is a, a wealth of Hall of Fame uh, information. He decided to take uh, on the task of leading the Bethune-Cookman program. We talked about uh, him last week right here on Forward Progress. We got a little loose talking about the uh, facilities. And when you're part of an organization, uh, right. you, you t- it's not us versus them. It's just us and how do we live this and that's gone sideways uh before we get to um and i'm going to refer to him as coach reed before we get to coach reed uh and his visit on roland martin unfiltered the daily digital show um just your view on how things have unraveled between him and the university as there is word he's been asked to step down as a candidate assuming it's old school uh HR personnel ratification that occurs at uh, Bethune Cookman. I don't know, but but mm-hmm. it's a feeling that the president, trustees, or staff that there's a committee that approves such hires, and that that is not happening. Um, not just off of a single rant about poor facilities, but but now Ed making uh, it clear that uh, things are, and I think I'm being kind, less than all over the university. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a long story um, in terms of everything that's kind of happened of recent. Um, this was one in which um, we all know what's trying to transpire with Coach Prime and Deion Sanders and his, I, I guess, his three years spent at Jackson State and what he was able to do and able to accomplish in the HBCU athletics. Because I think this was bigger than athletics. Um, what he was able to do in terms of drive, not only the notoriety, drive uh, the marketability, but drive eyeballs to say, man, this is what what he's got going on. I want to be a part of that, or at least I want to help with that. I want to be a part of what he was building. And then you look at the rise of the university, Jackson State, which has been around forever, but it just became more of those letters seem to be more on brand now. It's like, oh, Jackson State, oh, Coach Prime. It was it started to be synonymous. 
and you can't deny or turn away from what Coach Prime was able to do. Now, obviously, he has now moved on and, and went to the University of Colorado and is kind of doing the same thing with Colorado. He's already using his platform and his space to gain you know, more visibility for the university. Bethune-Cookman had an opportunity to hire a coach, and they saw what was kind of going on in the HBCU landscape and saying, hey, we want to make a splash. We want to do something and, and bring in someone who is a proven winner, who has uh, unbelievable credentials, who's willing to work, and who's willing to to grind, who's willing to understand and, and I, I think work with less, right? <laughs> to be able yeah. to work with... Uh, a certain budget to really be able to turn what you have and get more out of that. Um, that name fell on Ed Reed. Um, I can say that I was, I knew some of the candidates who were up for the job and Ed Reed was circled because he's a Florida guy. He's a hall of famer. You mentioned it already, his Ravens um, career, you know, in the NFL and what he was able to do, in terms of being one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. His passion speaks for what he did at the University of Miami already. So you brought in a guy who's kind of, we say, cut from the cloth that many of these same kids who were going to be going to this university uh, at Bethune can relate to in Ed Reed. That's what it was about, relatability. But then in what has transpired over the past couple of weeks has now been this shouting match back and forth of who's right and who's wrong or what the expectations was um, were or what are they? And Ed Reed, and this is something that we've talked about as well, Jackson, uh, me and you, but also uh, friends of mine as well, is that also you have to know who you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Ed Reed is one of the most passionate players to ever play in the National Football League a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's not afraid to speak his mind. And he's not afraid to say what needs to be said. But there's also a way in doing that. And I'm not so sure that Ed did that in the way that you're supposed to, which drew ire and scrutiny from uh, a lot of his, I mean, from the people in the administration department. They say, wait, hold on. We're still buffoon. You're sports. And this is where that division has has lied between athletics and being a uh, being an academic institution. Sure. And Ed is trying to push the envelope. He's trying to put pressure on folks to say, we got to be better at everything that we do. No, one of the great Ed Reed stories I have, I don't know if I'll go off on a sidebar, but one of the great Ed Reed stories that I always remember that he's told before, and a lot of people talk about it, but Ed Reed, remember, he was in his locker room and literally went off on his teammates, went off. And you would think, well, it was because of poor play or they, you know, they weren't, you know, half-assing it at practice, whatever. Ed Reed got so upset at his teammates because they didn't throw away their ankle tape in the trash. They didn't throw their ankle tape from practice in the trash. It was kind of laid out over the floor. And he let his teammates have it because he says, we can't even be together. I can't trust you 
we can't do the little things right. Being a champion starts with doing the little things right. And if we can't even throw our own trash, our own tape in the dumpster, in the trash can, how are we going to go out and win a championship? That's the kind of detail that Ed Reed is to a point where you look at yourself saying, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I doing, or, or can you, or yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I think that's a reasonable question for the authorities at, at Bethune Cookman. Correct. Are you upset for the right reasons? Mm, that's a great point. Are you upset because you're embarrassed? Yeah. You're upset because a not fully executed contracted employee is already showing you that he's not in line with what's what's going on. And, and both things can be true, by the way, yeah. at the same time. But I don't feel like there's an altruism in just being embarrassed. I mean, it, it, and and I, I, I'm careful only because if Ed Reed came to my house and started talking about the mildew on my walls, <laughs> right? I'd probably be <laughs> upset about it. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, Ed, I invite you over to my house to tell everybody about my house. Correct. And, and and we'll get together on this. But look, sir, Ed eventually negotiated this deal with mm -hmm. Bethune Cookman. Two sides agreed in principle. Reed began to assume head coaching duties before everything was ratified. And as a part of that, at the start of this year, um, without a signed contract, by the way, uh, he started posting a series of videos berating conditions yeah. at the school earlier this month. Now, he, he apologized, mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't enough. The damage was already done. <laughs> it wasn't enough for Bethune-Cookman. <laughs> and I have a sidebar in a second, my own, Correct. Right. about some of um, those in authority at many institutions oh, yeah, that you are need, predominantly yeah. Black. You knee deep in it. You, you're, oh, you're, you're, oh, you're an HBCU dad. So you, I'm, I'm, you I may be the PWI, but I'm surrounded <laughs> right. both with parents and offspring of, of HBCU dynamics. And when you when you are paying bills right. and attending these institutions, you see everything. Correct. And I am ecstatic that there was a surge two and a half years ago of resource, right. energy. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, focus. Right. Right. And all, all of it comes. When you call for the resources, there's going to be attention. And for so long, particularly from the mid-70s through uh, the early 2020s, that emphasis had been declining. And with that decline came a decline in resources, a decline in, uh, in many cases, uh, fundraising. Yeah, and uh, those schools that were not state institutions uh, have it more challenging than those that do. And that's not to say it's an easy road when you're a state school that is historically black. I'm not presenting that, but I'll tell you the uphill climb is steep. Yes, when you're a private <laughs> HBCU, very steep. Uh, but that apology uh, fell short uh, of what the folks at Bethune Cookman in power wanted, and they decided not to ratify his deal. Right. And that has then added a series of other uh, diatribes by Coach Reed, which the latest one came on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the daily digital show. This follows um, the interim president at Bethune-Cookman, 
being on the show with Roland Martin and Roland challenging some of these complaints that <laughs> one of the, I don't want to laugh. It's not funny. Yeah. But one of the responses to the complaint about mildew or mold, I'm sorry, is mold. Yeah. That's mildew, not necessarily mold. <laughs> yeah. Which I understand from a spore standpoint, Correct. that might be an upgrade in thinking, but it's not an upgrade. That's Here's uh, Ed Roland. Reed with Roland Martin. Reggie Theus sent the letter to my assistant who was not hired at the time because none of my people were hired and saying that tell Ed to withdraw his name. He wanted me to say this. I have the email. You want me to say that I'm withdrawing my name so you can save yourselves. I'm not here for nothing but these kids. I apologize for the unprofessionalism. This is what I've been teaching these young men. What these young men and young women did today is for them, man. That's powerful, man. That's that's old school things, man. I'm not here to bash this university. I know what Dr. McLeod has built. I've been researching it since they called me. In 1904, when she started this university with five young kids, it was built on education. I wasn't here to bash this university. I saw all the things that were going on. I have the tapes. My people and I have been shooting the documentary for the longest. I'm not here to bash Bethune-Cookman. I was still trying to get back to the job today. <laughs> I'm a foundation. I've been running for 20 years, man. 20 years to work with kids. I built a park in my own neighborhood. You understand? Because kids are dying. This ain't right. This ain't right, man. For Mr. Lawrence Drake, Dr. Drake, to come on and talk about me in that way. I knew this was a Christian school. I knew that. I'm a Christian, man. I, I've... I know I played music, but you do do you see? He said he walked campus every day, right? I don't believe that. Because if you walk campus every day, you'll see with these young folk where to school, man. You will see this. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? They 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 worse than the songs. You have crackheads walking through campus, man. There's no security for these young women and men. I'm not trying to bash the school. We were picking up trash when I was screen recorded. I didn't post that. Somebody screen recorded me and put that out there because they said I was mutting the school. I'm not mutting the school. We're picking up trash. At the time, you're telling me I'm mutting the school. I'm on the ground grabbing trash from under trees behind bushes because my football team was acting too cute. Don't interview me. Interview them kids. Interview the team. Interview these young women and men. I'm not here for me. I got a 40-year-old son who I've been missing his stuff for three weeks. I'm tired, man. This is exhausting, man. They lying on me, man. Why lie on me, man, to save your face, man? Because you're doing something wrong. You understand me? I took families to a basketball game. This man, Reggie Theus, man, this man is evil, man. You're evil, man. This man is evil, dude. I take 
parents to a basketball game. You understand me? And he don't come out during the warm-up at all. The parents are like, where's the coach? Then when you do come out, man, you got another man fixing your pants, man. <sighs> bro, I'm not rolling. I'm not like, bro, I'm not with these people portraying me to be in the people who know me know I'm not like that, man. Yeah, I speak with passion. Have you ever seen my speech from Florida State game when they are, we, we, we were winning? And I gave that speech. I respect everything Dr. McLeod built this thing on. I showed the team the video. You understand me? I showed the team the video after I saw it on Martin Luther King's birthday before the day when everybody celebrate him. I cry for them kids, man. I hurt for them kids because it's wrong. I got eight, eight kids that committed the week before. These kids calling me, their parents calling me. What we gonna do? I can't get these kids in no school. I can't have these kids uncommitted go somewhere else. And you telling me I'm I'm withdrawing? No, I'm not withdrawing. I still want to coach here and coach these kids after all this going on. And I'm wrong, Roland. Come on, man. I've been doing this, man. I just left University of Miami where I was the chief of staff, making a lot more with less responsibilities. I got a six-figure job on internet working for the 33rd. I didn't need this. I'm financially stable, and I was teaching them young men how to be gentlemen, you understand? So you hear that passion. I, I know Ed a little bit. Right. I think that's authentic. Correct. Where Ed, who has put out that he turned down opportunities at Grambling and Jackson State, confirmed by his representative. I don't know if they have the schools have gone that far because they've moved all the other candidates. Um, I think all the passion is authentic. I think understanding the mechanism is where Ed is falling short. And I'm not saying yeah. the mechanism is awesome. Correct. I'm not saying it's good. I know that there are folks that are in hierarchy at historically black universities that will tell you to kiss their ass because they've been doing this without you Yeah. to the point where we're not going to the state house to beg for money from white right. folks. Mm -mm. And it's like, what are we beg for money? Your state institution, it is your money, <laughs> but there's that, that divide has been created because mm -hmm. of what happens, what has happened over a hundred years plus of of relying upon mainstream and being diminished and disconnected. Why do you think historically black colleges and universities exist? Because of a disconnect, the distrust, mm -hmm. underrepresented, under-resourced. And so now it's a there's a divide that exists. That's why I get so upset with this concept of we're not supposed to make people feel bad about. History. History was bad. I'm not making you feel bad. It was bad. That That is the facts. And since we're saying, oh, we're going to encourage the facts, well, then let's deal with the facts. The facts are the HBCUs were, were created because Black folks were not welcome, damn barred from any education, let alone higher education. And Black folks said, fine, we'll do it ourselves. And then when that was done, those places were tortured and terrorized. Who's supposed to forget that? That being said, there is a responsibility to make sure that these institutions are pristine, up to code, accredited. These are bare minimums. 
should Ed wash that all out on Roland's show and on <laughs> the internet and on IG? No, that's not how relationships work. Correct. And that, Regardless, that's, that's, it, a lot of people realize that the truth is worthy of, or at least it's their perception, that the truth is worthy regardless of how it lands. I am of the thinking there are two ways that you can hit people with the truth. You can use it as a sword right. and a weapon, the truth. Oh, it'll set you free. <laughs> or you can okay. use the truth as a swaddle. Right. Those of us that are parents, we know how to swallow a baby. Yeah. Use the truth to make people feel good, make them feel secure, make them know that a better, if the truth is harsh, that together we can make it better. And that, that's what's not happening and, and why we have this divide. Um, and here's the thing. I don't think anybody needs to stand on any sense of pride, right? Like right. what is best for this institution and these students? What is best for the growth of Ed Reed? What is best for the growth of Bethune-Cookman? It may be recognizing we were all flailing at ghosts. There's no divorce necessary here. Right. We just need to recognize what's real and what is it and get together and do great things. Mm. I think um, we talk about raising the bar. Yeah. I think uh, that's the one thing I do take out of this whole situation with Ed is that he's wanted to raise the bar. And obviously there's been a status quo of how things operate and how things have been done to your point. But it's also awakened, I think, students who have been visibly uh, outspoken about the conditions in which they feel could be better. Right. And so you had a protest on campus with students that were saying, you know what? He ain't Coach wrong. Ray, he ain't wrong. <laughs> I mean, he right. brought light and attention to things that we want better. We want a better right. campus life. Right. And so if that's a possibility, why can't we have you know, better facilities or what are we doing with a lot of the resources that we're being given or we can go out and obtain. And that's something that I know I've been seeing. I've been watching, looking, reading that the students now feel like, well, we want to have a voice in this. There's been a petition to rehire or to actually hire Ed Reed because he never truly was hired. He didn't, right. he didn't sign anything, but a lot of people were excited for what his message has been, but it is a way that we talked about how you handle things. And Ed didn't do it to the way that I think that a lot of people would have wanted him to, if it wasn't going to work out, or if you guys could not come to an agreement, it'd be a way in which you do it in a way that first of all, less, uh, less explicit, I should say in terms of uh, how you go about it in uh, the social media world. But it is something that I think Ed will learn from this as well. His passion is what drew him here. His passion of what he wants to do and wants to change. And this is part of what Coach Prime talked about, that you will be meet with resistance. You will be met with uh, people who don't care about athletics, who care about the bottom line and not the overall dynamic of saving kids lives and giving them hope, giving them opportunities and giving them more, let them know that you care. So you hear all that and you see all that. And we will continue to watch as this thing play out because as we talk right now, Bethune Cookman still does not have a football coach. That is a hard job to feel now because someone has to come in after all of this has been going on and try to handle and navigate the trust of these young men 
who want to play football for Bethune, but also a community now that has now started to question the administration and some of its tactics. Yes. So you talk about a job walking into that you got to work on more than football. That's a that's a whole hell of a lot. When we come back, we create a fair and balanced dynamic. Uh, the athletic director and head men's basketball coach from Bethune-Cookman, you heard his name, uh, come out the mouth of Ed Reed. Uh, Reggie Theus will join us next to give us his side of the story as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. As offered, as advertised, here he is, the athletic director and head coach of men's basketball at Bethune-Cookman. It's Reggie Theus. Reggie, uh, I kid because I care. Uh, it, it is, it's tough at the top, my man, is it not? It's very tough. It yeah. is very tough. But you know what? I, I tell people all the time, to work at an HBCU, to, to come here, especially after you've been, had a life that I've had, it's a calling. Yeah. You know, you got to come here and you got to roll your sleeves up and, and put your arms around this job and really grind it out. Uh, but, you know, the kids are worth it. Uh, Bethune Cookman, Dr. Bethune, her legacy, it's worth it. And I wouldn't be here, Jason, if I didn't think that I could make change. Uh, for me, uh, it means everything. You now know more than ever that change uh, as a desire and as a concept can be harder uh, than its execution when you work in an organization. And as sure. we said in the previous segment, um, because I'm a, a father paying money, uh, to your sister institution in Tallahassee, and, and the son. You know what, Jason? HCC you know what graduate. that means? You know what that means? What's that? That means you taste like chicken. <laughs> I heard that about steaks. Uh, with that being with that being said, that's a good one, by the way. I didn't know you all you all had that. You ain't that ready to go? That was. Yeah, no, I, I, I've always kept that one in my back pocket. That's awesome. Uh, but but the connective understanding of. What happens in an institution of higher education that is historically black has so many different things occurring. Are you a state institution? Or are you private? Um, the people who are in leadership, are they connected to another generation and therefore skeptical of outside work, particularly as it pertains to money? Um, and then also, are you an institution that is embracing the surge of attention and resources or because of a cautious mentality, hold on. We've been running this place for a while. Yeah. We know yeah. well and good as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of that that's kind of churned up over the last three years, as we have experienced from the time you were in college or finishing college through the time of these kids that are in HBCUs. Now the decline has reached a very aggressive push up in interest mm -hmm. and involvement. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. No. Change is not easy. And no. so what have you learned, before we get into Ed's situation specifically, what have you learned about trying to enact change in a place that sometimes doesn't want it to be kind of... Well, so what you're saying is, is, you know, and I don't know everything. And one of the great things about my situation is I'm not a background. My background is not HBCU. Right. So when people say, well, he's not He's not, he's never, he don't know anything about HBCU. You know, it's a matter of learning the history. It's a matter of coming in here and accepting your situation and really digging in 
to your situation and and learning how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. As you said, people have a tendency to work in silos. People have a tendency to protect their territory. Mm-hmm. People have a tendency At every university, to, by the way. Well, yeah, okay. And, 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 <laughs> but, and I've seen that. But specifically, but even, sure. And specifically, even, I think even more so uh, mm-hmm. in smaller institutions sure. that, you know, have a lot of, uh, you know, you have a, uh, historically, you have a lot of uncles and aunts, family members that are all in the same institution. Right. Um, um, and this institution went through a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's changed its policies. It's changed a lot of different things about how we do business here. Uh, most of the things that have happened here, good or bad, happened with the previous administration, which I mean, previous board, pre- previous uh, two presidents ago, uh, athletic, the athletic director that was here be- before, I mean, he's here for 30 years. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot that went on before I got here. I right. can only really talk about what I've seen in the last two years. This is my second year here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and where we are today, I think we're moving in the right direction in terms of policies, in terms of direction, um, in terms of uh, the finances are always going to be a problem. But uh, this whole situation has shed light on a lot of different things that we've already been addressing. And uh, it's it's still not easy to overcome, but we're still addressing them. Last week when we uh, dealt with what Ed Reed was saying about facilities, what he was recognizing as he was in what now in hindsight is a pre-hiring period, but, but inside uh, and getting a look at facilities. Um, I would, to, to terminalize, to put a term on it, we, we kind of said, Ed, this is not how you handle this. Like you, no. you work at an institution, all that stuff stays inside. You have a boss, he has a boss. And you deal with these things, taking consideration that the last hurricane season was hell for that region. And well, we went through those, two. Right. Two, you got two that hit you, right? Yeah, so we had two within a month. You you add all those things in and you understand one thing starts to add up to another. And there's work to do to get to the place you want to go. Um, I think people feel like Coach Sanders' experience in Jackson State was overnight. That's a, that was a three-year period of growth. Exactly. And so you take exactly. all that stuff into consideration and you realize Ed has the appropriate passion and mindset and probably not the best institutional approach. Uh, and trying to get those two things together takes a period of time. I felt like you made a great hire in Ed Reed and that he was going to make these young men's lives better, your program better, and that he would figure out how to channel that passion and energy that made him into a hall of famer into lifting your program and these kids. Um, I didn't know your institution's process of ratification and hiring. And we're all learning that kind of on the outside, but at what point did it feel like as the head of athletics and the direct connection from the executive management of the institution, that a change was going to have to be made and that Ed was not going to be the person that you were going to go forward with as a hire? Well, first of all, I, I'm the one who brought Ed here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that whole process came from the vi- my vision of where I wanted to go with the athletic program. Right. Um, if, you know, I told our administration that if we're going to make a change, 
we have to put a, a renewed emphasis on building our football program. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my idea was to find a guy that could help me in all those areas. A first-time coach, we're giving him a, an amazing opportunity to come mm -hmm. in as a first-time coach, you know, to start his career. Um, as a, his knowledge of the game, his pedigree, no, there's no denying where he's been and what he's accomplished. And I know that personally because I was in the same boat at one point in my life right. where an athlete, a professional athlete has a paper bag full of knowledge and doesn't know really what to do with it. <laughs> so you surround him with good, good assistant coaches and you allow him to develop as a, as a coach. In the meantime, you've, you've set fire to your, 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 uh, your alumni who get very excited about where the program's going. Your mm -hmm. recruiting goes through the roof. And then the other part, which is almost the biggest part for me, is that I have a guy at, that I can be a that can be a partner for me in raising money. And that is where the football for the over the betterment of the entire football program is what I was looking at, because I knew that. See here in D in Daytona, you know you have a, a a small group of people that you can go to. So we got to have long arms that reach way outside of Daytona Beach. Right. You know. Thank God for Charles Barkley, who gave us a donation of a million dollars, you know, because now with that million dollars and, 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 and in the way that it's coming, it, it, it set me in place to put an on-campus football practice field right. that we would not have been able to do otherwise. Uh, the city of Daytona had already, and these plans were in place before Ed Reed. Mm -hmm. The city of Daytona is putting two, three million dollars into the stadium locker rooms which desperately needed it mm -hmm. so you know we're spending over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year just busing our kids off campus to a practice facility because we didn't have one here the overall picture is a a, a compound a practice compound that houses a practice field locker rooms equipment room offices and all those things which they have property and behind their offices to do that so that's the bigger picture that was the 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 understanding of what we need to build through funding so these were all the reasons why i thought ed reed would be a great partner in this and for all intents and purposes you know he knew all of the problems that the university had especially coming off of hurricanes he knew what all the good and bad things were because I showed it to him. I talked to him about it first. So when he elected to go on camera and, you know, utilize the words that you cannot utilize in corporate America and definitely not at a faith-based school. Right. And, you know, we're not all, listen, we're not saying that, you know, in the context of coaching, Coaches say some crazy things, okay? <laughs> but you can't go on social media no. and act that way. And I challenged a, a couple of people, even at the airport, you know, because the guys were walking up to me talking about it and stuff. I go, well, you know, go ahead and, and turn around and look your bosses and do some social media about your working environment and cuss everybody out at the same time. See what happens with your job. Right. So No, that's, that's so all of us that, who are part of organizations, right? I mean, that's... That's the, the key thing that we all were like, okay, we get it. And while this may be the truth, this is not the way to handle that particular part of the process. 
Well, Jason, if you knew that going in, there was no reason to say it again. There was no right. reason to say it on right. on 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 social media. Right. It, there was no reason for that. And if, by the way, there are a lot of things that he said that are not true, it's out of context, and there were things that were about that that just came from left field. Okay, but there were things were the obvious things that were true. But all that stuff's pretty obvious, right? You know. Right. Um, so there really wasn't anything said special. Like he didn't, okay. there was no smoking gun. Right. I mean, there's all things that we deal with every day around here. Right. You know, and I actually told him, you know, and, and the truth is, you know, when he came here, I didn't know he was staying. You know, I didn't know, I thought he was just coming in to look around and stuff. He talked about his office wasn't clean. Well, the building was clean, just wasn't clean the way he wanted it clean. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when I got here, my office wasn't clean either. I didn't go on social media and do that. Get it clean, you know? man. Well, just everything on this level, HBCU, everything, and, and even on a higher level, everything is a process. Mm. You don't snap your fingers and get anything done. Uh, it's just unfortunate that the university felt that we had to go in this direction. Our football team is devastated in terms of what they believed in Ed. But, I, you know, I, I told, you know, some of the football guys, you know, Ed let us down also because I had big plans. You know, our university was depending on, you know, what he could do and what he could bring to the football program. Uh, but you just don't fight your battles through social media in the real world. And and you teach your guys all the time in the real world. You don't necessarily get a do-over. Well, that actually speaks to my next question. Then. <laughs> Reggie Theus with his hero for progress. He's the athletic director at Bethune-Cookman, uh, Ed did say he wants to come back. That is, You're saying that there's no chance of that at this stage. No chance. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's over. And, you know, listen, I truly believe Ed has great passion for these kids. Yeah. You know, and, and, and by the way, so does a lot of coaches. You know, but passion isn't something that you scream out. It's not in, in how you act out. Passion is doing, teaching, mentoring. Passion is showing and rolling up your sleeves and digging in. So he put us in a position now that hurts everybody. Mm -hmm. So now we, you know, we have to regroup and we've already started the process. You know, uh, we'll find a new coach here soon. And, you know, we just have to move on and, and, and still, you know, understand this. Ed Reed could still um, do the things he said he could do. You know, his people could still donate the money that, that they were talking about donating. There, there's still a lot that he can do if he's truly, truly about these kids. Mm. It's a fair challenge. He brought you up uh, and felt like he was betrayed by you and <laughs> even went before he called your name out and said he was walking among Judas's that, 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 analogy seems like a bit much but it's tough to get inside of someone else what do you think he feels like was a betrayal actually if you listen to him he never said nice. all he did is call my name out mm -hmm. all he did is, is spew whatever it was he was spewing i am the i am the one person that brought him here i championed him more than anybody you know listen i put my job on the line you know, yeah. and, and so, so 
I was disappointed because the person that I talked to, the person that asked me to, to, to let's be a partner. Uh, I mean, the night before one of these episodes that he had, we had a great conversation about, you know, what was happening here. And I told him point blank, you know, this is not going well. You know, we need to start to think about an exit strategy. You know, this is not good. And he understood that. He, 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 on the surface, he was, he understood where I was coming from. And that I told him that I was pushing very hard and trying, you know, there was a point where, okay, so maybe there was a way to, to, to come back from that. But if you're going to, if you make a mistake, you say you're sorry, then you got to go dark. You got to, you got to, you don't need to be seen anymore. After the first video, there were still like three or four more videos. So there was nothing. He took the process out of my hands. In that time that I met with him the night before, he shook my hand and said, thank you. <laughs> we took selfies. You know, we haven't, hey, Reggie, we haven't had a picture together. Let's take some pictures. We took pictures. And the next day he goes and he, and he does the podium thing with the players. Yeah. You know, so I, I can't, sometimes you don't know a person before you, you work with them. And, and, you know, these are things that, you know, I wasn't expecting. Um, but as the, as it is, it happened. Right. And, you know, what I'm hoping is that we've learned some things that we didn't know before, uh, just through the, the, the players and people talking to us. And I think that we're going to, to, to move along and move well. And, and people are coming, people are coming out now wanting to help with them. And what people don't understand is these plans for football facilities and the football uh, uh, practice field, those and the and the uh, locker room, those things were on the table before Ed got here. That was from our administration, and our administration took a hit. That is really unfair. Our administration has done nothing but but work very hard, not only to dig the school out of you know purgatory. They, the doors almost shut our administration, this administration dug it out and kept the doors open. And now we are moving it, moving in a very positive light. When the football team had to go on the road for a month straight, our administration, our board of trustees, they didn't hesitate to tell me, Reggie, just make sure they're safe and make sure they're, they're, they're taken care of. And that cost a lot of money. Not only were they out, the track team and the volley, one of the volleyball, the volleyball team was out also. Right. Right. So With revenue sports, sometimes we forget about all the Olympic sports and non-revenue sports yeah. that are also affected during those same times. You alluded to your thoughts about the early stages with Ed and informing him and making it clear and transparent what was going to be the work, the mountain that was going to have to be climbed. Is there anything as you've looked back over it over the last week or so that you said, you know what, I should have done X differently with that. Well, actually, no, because I, you know me, you know me. I'm very right. transparent. You yeah. know, I'm, I got, I got nothing. I am here for the one hundred percent the right reasons. I am not looking for another job. Right. I, I, I mean, I liked being on XM. I liked sitting around talking basketball and, you know, playing golf and stuff like that. But I came here. I, I, I've rolled my sleeves up, and in a, you know, within a year and a half. You know, I've, I've, we've got some things moving in the right direction. I want to see these projects through. And um, so I don't, I had a vision that was interrupted, but it's not going to stop. 
that vision is going to continue. My plans to build these facilities, to, to, to build a, a, an actual football practice facility, to hopefully they're still in place. And, you know, with some luck and some prayer, we, we can get it done. Before I let you run, there's obviously there's obviously some prominent people and names that are connected to Ed who are supportive in that space. Deion Sanders, Shannon Sharp. These are guys that played with the man, obviously, and it's a different entrenchment. But they do have big platforms and big voices. I assume you just as a reasonable person go, well, that's because they're supportive of the man. And that's not necessarily reflective of Bethune Cookman. But how does how do those particular opinions or voices land as you are emerging out of this process? Well, I think that all of the people that you just talked about, there's no one that would dispute the direction that the university went in was not the right direction. Right. I think from a, so from people who are thinking people and, and working people, who people who are in a corporate world, uh, they know that when you do things like that, there's consequences. You know, and this being his, you know, Ed's first go around, uh, you know, I, I think that he just kind of, he might have made himself a little bit bigger than the university and that, you know, he didn't think that that he was untouchable and, and that nothing would happen and that he, he, you know, he wasn't pointing out anything that we already did not know. You know, we, he, he, schools have trash, you know, athletic trash pickups all over the country. It wasn't anything new. Um, but you know, he didn't know the history of the school. He didn't understand. I mean, he's talking about administration. This is not the administration that he was talking about. He was trying to point fingers at people, but that those people aren't here. And he didn't, he didn't know that he didn't have that context. But see, the problem with that is that after the first go around, spent an hour, maybe an hour and a half, giving him the history lesson that he needed to have. You know, and then after that, you still have no reason to keep and continue this conversation because now you have context. The first one, you didn't have the context. You're working off, you know, things that you just were seeing in front of you and you were reacting. That may have been a mistake, a a, a very costly mistake, nevertheless. But after that, he knew. Uh, He knew where it was coming from, why it was this way. And, and how we're going to get out of this. You have over $6 million worth of hurricane damage here at this university. Okay. That he, he never talked about that. You know, you have, uh, you know, you have problems going back 10, 15 years longer that it takes time to, to fix. And, you know, we're systematically working on those things. And Bethune Cookman, even without Ed Reed, is still a great place to go to school and get your education. Zune Cookman is a, still a great place to go play football. And as I told the football team, I will find you a new coach. But this. Well, good luck in the endeavor. This period I know is it's over. not going to be, not, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world. And you're not doing something that's simple in a power five with money just rolling in every 10 seconds for yeah, TV deals right. and alumni and donors. So we appreciate you taking the time and coming in yes, and sharing with us. Uh, in this scenario, and hopefully it's just nothing but good things ahead for Bethune-Cookman. Well, you know, I love you guys at at XM, so anytime you need me, call me. You know that already. Sean knows that. Everybody knows that. So, you know, I appreciate you and the work that you do. Thank you. And we will be all right. We will be all right. Amen to that.
Roger Theus, the athletic director and head men's basketball coach at Bethune-Cookman with us here on Forward Progress. When we come back, we head to halftime on Friday night in Crypto.com, Shannon Sharp versus the Memphis Grizzlies as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. Forward Progress continues and we take ourselves to Crypto.com right down the street from <laughs> Kirk Morrison's mansion. And and oh friday night was something else i mean it, it's it crazy because i forget where i was i think i was on the road and mm-hmm. we were playing i might have been in dallas by that point i'm not yeah. sure and everybody's phones were blowing up yeah. on the heat bus oh, yeah and actually it was a game was after you guys it was right, a game yeah. a, well, was i'm a one game of the heat broadcasters so we're yeah. we're getting off the floor correct and onto the bus Mm-hmm. And look on the phone, and what in the world is going on? That's the in men or crypto. <laughs> and I think we started early because it was a national television game, so we yes. were ahead of everything. So by the time we got off, so it definitely was Dallas. Um, all hell was breaking loose, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was Shannon Sharp who started off just talking regular junk. Was it Dylan Brooks? Is that Dylan who he was? Yep. Arkin at letting them know he's too little. Yeah, to guard LeBron, aren't we all? Yeah. Um, but Dylan took exception to an F bomb. F bomb right. went back, and then it got serious because the barking turned into members of the squad. I think I wrote them all down. Hold on, I want, I want to get through all of this yeah. right here. Oh, it, it was um, a class participation. Brooks, Stephen mm-hmm. Adams, Ja Morant, and then T Morant. <laughs> um, uh, you talking about Usher or T Morant? Usher or T Morant? Which one? Out. We talking about Usher or T Morant? Which oh, one? Listen, I, I still haven't seen Usher. Or T you got to double, you gotta take a double check. Yeah, double look. <laughs> uh, which is a compliment to both men, by the way. Correct, correct. Um, correct. So Sharp ended up being escorted uh, into the tunnel area, which, by the way, is the most gentle. The red <laughs> polos, um, who used to be the red coats, right? The infamous Staples Center red coats. Yeah, um, I tend to be with people, and by halftime, he's got quotes. <laughs> Shannon does on ESPN of went went down. He broke it all down of what happened. I yeah. said this, he said that. I said it back, and then everybody wants to dance, and no, nobody wants that smoke. <laughs> uh, so by the time the third quarter is underway, uh, Shannon's back in his seats. Before the game is over, T and uh, Shannon uh, dap up and realize uh, we're the adults here. And how did this right. get this far? Um, on Monday, Shannon got on the show and provided a, an apology. As you probably have heard or have seen Friday night um, at the Lakers game, I want to apologize for my behavior. Um, you know, guys, I've preached for the last six and a half years, responsibility and accountability. And I take full responsibility for what transpired. It does not matter what Dylan Brooks said or how many times he said it. Me being the responsible person, me having the platform that I have and having so many people look up to me, I was wrong. I should have lowered the temperature in the arena. Instead, I turned the temperature up and I let it get out of hand. And I want to apologize to a few people. First of all, I want to apologize to the Lakers organization. I want to apologize to the fans that were in attendance and the fans that watched on television. I want to apologize to the Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies uh, organization and fans, I am sorry. More specifically, I want to apologize to Dylan Brooks. Ja, it was a privilege and an honor to watch you up close and personal. Skip and I talk about you a lot of times, but to see what you do, the way you're able to elevate, lead the fork, and torch your body, and finish at the rim, 
is, is, is unbelievable and, and extremely impressive. And I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to my family. I'm not perfect. I am not. And I'm never going to say that wasn't Shannon Sharp because that was me. That was just me getting out of character. And I'm sorry for all those that saw my action and took offense to my actions. I am sorry. I, I think this lends to another conversation, okay. which is when you have high-achieving, high-end, still very um, visible entities like, a, like Shannon, who, by right. the way, does such a wonderful job with this podcast. That thing is exploding. You know what's top five? Yeah. Podcast Club. universe. Somewhere Club. in the, Club. the Shay progress Shay. area yeah. of, of American <laughs> sports podcasts. Um, but in sports podcasts, I mean, it just has rocketed to the top right. of the list. Um, you know, in the bar stool, in the ringer, in the Dan Lebitard show, that type of area. So kudos right. to him. But he's still a player, right? right? He's still competitive. He's still competing every day with Skip. And so there's a different vibe when his feet are on the wood. And he thinks he's probably having reasonable interplay that athletes have. And today's athlete isn't. The athlete from 20 years ago are they no you're 100 he's not i mean so these that conversation not... gets a little intense now it's interesting because i haven't seen any i didn't see any adjudication come down because we're players are not allowed to cuss fans right uh, and and it's it's findable by the way so i'm not sure what joe dumar's office is waiting on because this is wednesday after the friday where we're taping the show and i don't Correct. recall uh Purnell put it in the thread if i'm mistaken uh any uh statement from the nba office on any of this uh but it's not behavior we can i don't care who it is he's still i don't know if he's paying or not i mean that's right. a different story but but a, a prominent fan who's a, a a friend of the league um tends to get the the benefit of the doubt there and i'm not knocking brooks because you're in the heat of the battle and how you respond instantly in those places. It, it rarely is your better self. Right. <laughs> so I'll let that be. Uh, but how avoidable was all of that chicanery? It, it was a lot. Um, black <laughs> Twitter, black Twitter was a, was a, was a blaze on Friday oh. night. <laughs> in both directions, by the way, we're very, yeah. it's not a, not, I should let people know black folks yes. are very different. Just like fingerprints. <laughs> like we're all, we're all on our own little vibe. It's not Correct. one single voice. So so we had had a lot going on uh, in terms of of the the the, the feud, if you want to call it. Um, obviously, the the memes are, were flowing and and all of that because you had Shannon Sharp, who's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, you mentioned it to start the show, former Raven. Um, but Shannon Sharp does have a platform, a a national platform in which. You know, he speaks openly about his fandom when it comes to not only LeBron James, but him living in Los Angeles now, going to Laker games and being uh, a Laker fan now because LeBron James is on that team. That the one thing is that he does speak about a lot of these players because that is his job. It is his critique that, and when I put my, my, my former player hat on, if I see Shannon Sharp, or someone else, and he's said in the past, oh, that team won't be good, or they can't keep up, they won't win the West, Ja Moran is leading them, 
It's John Morant by himself. He ain't got no help on the team. This and that. Guys take offense to that. You 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 know you're around it, Jax, every day. You say something. These players, man, they hear it, they see it, and what do they do? They take note. So you don't think that there's a little animosity with when the Grizzlies come to town and oh, the non-Morant Grizzlies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you you see Shannon Sharp over there. Yeah, you you gonna let them know. You know, you're going to tell him, hey, you're saying Brooks might have had a little something in his pocket. Oh, man, come on now. He was ready. Yeah. And, you know, this was an ongoing feud. This was something that it was kind of publicized before the game even started that LeBron was upset at a previous outing against the Grizzlies where, you know, the, the Lakers were getting shellacked. And yet, you know, the first LeBron five was, yeah. <laughs> first five was still working, huh? Right. So he was like, look, you know, uh, Hey, y'all, y'all better cool out. Hey, we all better chill out. And it was like, nah, look at the scoreboard, LeBron. So you already had that animosity going, but I think what happens is you also get the back and forth, the trash talk. You get the, it just turned into a bigger scene than what it should have been. You know, at the end of the day, I think one of the best parts that I think wasn't publicized enough was that you mentioned T. Morant, the father of Ja, and Shannon Sharp embracing, hugging, talking, and more so said, it's all in the love of the game. Like, we're all here. And it, it turned for a second into a, a a Rucker Park, a street basketball game for a little bit, where guys jawing back and forth. But at the end of the day, I think that there is an ultimate respect for everybody, right? When the game is over, it's a respect. But sometimes it can look heated. It can look as if things can, can get violent or things can turn uh, in a quick second. That was what I think people were upset about the most is that it looked a lot bigger than what it truly was. And I think all sides realize that, okay, we can't be doing that. So I don't know if Shannon Sharp will still be having a courtside seat, by the way. Mm. I mean, we'll see. I mean, Hey, if you want to pay for him, that's possibly, but you know, obviously it's a situation where you have to handle yourself in a different, different way, different demeanor. You know, when you sit down there on the floor, I mean, look, I mean, I know if I go to a Miami Heat game, you have to have the prerequisite, right? You got to have. Oh, it's on your listen. It's on your ticket. It's on the seat. It speaks to you about your demeanor. It doesn't say you can't say anything. Yes, but it shouldn't be profane, right? And it shouldn't be disruptive. Correct. I don't know if Shannon was profane. Might have been disruptive, but I mean, again, too small. I'm gonna. I'm going to. Uh, line up with exactly what you had. Like, yeah, they knew who was going to be there that night. He's there almost every home game. Right. And if if that so-and-so says one thing to me, I'm going <laughs> to, you know how I go. That's part Anticipation of it. Anticipation of all that. I love uh, LeBron's response, by the way. LeBron felt uh, supported and said, quote, mm-hmm. I mean, I ride with Shannon for 365 days, 366 on a leap year, 24-7. So that's my guy. So I'll always have his back and he's got mine. He can talk with the best of them for sure. So you already yeah. know what's coming. Yeah. He already, you know, they, obviously certain guys know how to turn something uh, sort of a, that was seen as, as negative. They turned into a positive uh, for Shannon Sharp. He's uh, the, the cardigan that he wore on Friday night has been sold out by the way, <laughs> for people who are uh, out Folks there listening. Like, Give me that. Yeah, go ahead and Google. Do you think it uh, lined up cardigan age line among uh, Black Twitter? Like, 
like 40 and up were like, man, Shannon, exactly. We get these soft cats. Whereas yeah. 40 and under, like, Shannon, nobody want to hear all that. Nobody want to hear that. You're a hater, right? Like, come on, man. Get I, mean, out I kept of here. seeing a little bit of both. And I was like, man, I want ages next to these tweets. I want to know yeah. where these lines are drawn. It felt like a like an age-centric separation. It did, man. It, it felt <laughs> it felt like you could see, like I said, you saw both sides of it. Um right. but at the end of the day, the 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 Grizzlies did lose that game, by the way. <laughs> People don't remember the Grizzlies did lose in Los Angeles. Maybe that has so Shannon got done what he wanted to really get done, huh? <laughs> but it was um, you know, it's it's part of the NBA. Uh it's part of the fabric of it. Um, it doesn't matter where you go, celebrities are gonna be courtside, and a lot of them happen to be. Uh, you know, we don't the NBA is really minority driven in terms of the access to a lot of people with influence, whether it's entertainers, whether it's um, musicians, whatever it may be, those tend to be the people who are in the forefront, the people who the players see the most, you know, always, you know what, what I love watching after it's the players as they exit the floor and the people who they go and talk to and see. And that's when you see, Oh, who's at the game, right? Where you're right you know, a lot of this person is in town, right? Where you see a Knicks game and it's uh, obviously Spike Lee. It's, you know, they're always at, at at the big games or at the big moments. And players realize that. And you you acknowledge them for what they do in their craft and you appreciate them for supporting you. And I think that's always, sometimes it doesn't get talked about enough. There's a reason why. There's a greater appreciation on both sides for what each other does. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, you would think that the speeds at which F1 champion superstar Lewis Hamilton drives at over 100 miles per hour, I mean, over 150 miles per hour, would be the most challenging part of his life. He says his school days were the most difficult part of his life. We'll explain why when forward progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through Forward Progress. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and now let's talk about Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton has won Formula One's uh, World Championship seven times. He was born and educated uh, in Europe. Uh, but the thing that's interesting is that on a recent podcast, he noted that he endured as a kid stuff that was more traumatic than anything behind the wheel. Alpha Formula One cars, he sees it. He said bananas were thrown at him, repeatedly called the N-word at school, uh, and, and said, quote, school was the most traumatizing and most difficult part of my life. I was already being bullied at the age of six. At that particular school, I was one of three kids of color, and just bigger, stronger, bullying kids were throwing me around a lot of the time. Now, that part of it, I think some all of us deal with some of that, good and Correct. bad. Uh, but he went on to say the constant jabs, the things that are either thrown at you like bananas, and there's a whole nother level that most of us do not deal with, or people that use the N-word just so relaxed, people calling you uh, half chasing, not knowing where you fit in, that was difficult. Um, he said there were six or seven, when he got to secondary school, only six or seven black kids out of 1,200. Right. Um, and he said three of us were outside the headmaster's office half the time. Um, we've heard, we hear a lot of these stories, even with current stars. And it was really cool of him to open up and talk about it. Um, but 
but you think about how successful he is and yep. uh, being such a pioneer, people of color in that sport, being so dominant that you don't even assume there's a layer of difficulty, right? And if that was a layer of difficulty, it was just climbing up the Formula One ladder, getting his opportunity and dominating when he got it. But um, there'll be a lot of people who listen to this and shrug their shoulders. Yeah, I got pushed down to the dirt and kicked around when mm -hmm. I was a kid. Uh, but but this could have been traumatizing. It could have derailed his desire to be excellent in anything. Yeah, I mean, this is one in which um, when I was reading a story, the first thing that really jumped out to me is sometimes you want to know what drives people, what makes people go, what makes them passionate about what they do. A lot of times it's because it's an outlet. It's all that they truly sometimes have to get away from the normalities of what they go through at home or at school. Right. And I think Lewis Hamilton, for him, he got into racing, right? He got into race cars. Because when you're bullied at school about, you know, the color of your skin, you know, people calling you the N-word, throwing bananas at you. That's next um, level, by the way. Yeah, I mean, and, and it goes to show that it's not just happening in the U.S., right? It didn't happen in just the U.S. Yeah, you think We're it's but, you know, like below yes. Europe or below Britain in this case, Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And the people just think like, oh, okay, that just it goes on. Oh, it goes on a, a, a lot of places. And we're talking about, you know, he's 38 years old right now. So we're talking about, you know, you said this had started happening at the age of six. So this is 30 years ago. And you think about where in his country, going to school, or you think about things that happened 30 years ago in our country, there's still a lot of racial undertones and, and things that young kids had to go through. And this is necessarily didn't have certain outlets. For him, he did find an outlet. He found something that he was passionate about. And you could tell that it has fueled him. The success of his career, that's part of the story. That's part of the story that I think that drives him and now being able, and I, I don't know how long he's probably kept this in too, you know, because first I think time I've heard the story, man's been right. killing it for almost two decades, right? So you don't know how long he's been sitting on this to mm -hmm. not revisit maybe a childhood trauma for him that he's like, you know what? I wanted to move past it. I didn't want to bring it up, but maybe he's at a space right now currently where it's like, I want to tell people, because a lot of times I think we see the success, but we don't see how you got there or what you came from and you get a better appreciation for it. Right. I think that's one thing that I know I enjoy, especially when it comes to covering the NFL, but especially around this time, as we get ready for conference championships and Super Bowls, especially when I get to the Super Bowl and I can sit down and talk to guys and we don't talk about football. We talk about the journey of life for them. We talk about, man, but the, you know, what I grew up with and my peewee coach, you know, my high school coach and me coming from a rural town and then going to college with 60,000 people, me being a small fish in a big pond. And you realize, what did you gravitate to? So well, I gravitated to doing this and I found my passion and I found something I really excelled at. And it kind of got me away from what I had incur or uh, that had occurred during my youth to where now I may be hoisting one of the biggest trophies you know what I mean like that that's the cool part and so when I read uh, Hamilton's story it's the same thing his success I think has led a lot to him being open and free to talk about how he grew up 
and it wasn't all you know you know silver spoon is by wasn't that it, it wasn't that kind of situation it was one in which he had some some trials and tribulations but he was able to find a way and find something that can get him out of it i think you hit the nail on the head in the sense we we, all, we see the success we see the seven Correct. championships we see mercedes dropping 40 million pounds yes a year it's a lot of money in that deal for him and 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 it, 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 one layer of it is Lewis being able to look back at those knuckleheads and clowns that he dealt with in those formative years and just throw your hands up and it didn't get me down. Mm-hmm. There's a layer of that that's awesome. I wonder how those bullies from yesteryear, because it's fun uh-huh. to see what, what those, mm-hmm. those men and women turn into years later, they tend to be nothing like they were when they were kids, or they're the extreme, right? It's right. always one or the other. Like, they simmer down, and you wouldn't even recognize that they would be troublesome, or they just go off the deep end, and, and they just follow <laughs> that path. Right. <clears throat> but their view of, oh, my goodness, I could have befriended yes. somebody. Not that that was going to lead to anything of a benefit, but instead of being like the worst version of myself in a period mm-hmm. where I didn't even know myself, so I, I do a little bit of discounting there, but, uh, but what fruitful relationship could have come from just being kind and accepting and absorbing of someone who didn't look or sound like you. Or it also, I look at, look at home. What were they being taught at home? What, that's you know? exactly where it comes from. <laughs> exactly. You don't learn at six years old. You don't learn that. Right, not, not bananas and and, and in words. No, you no. you see and hear that stuff. No, they didn't have they didn't have YouTube back then. <laughs> they do now, they do. They and do now. Uh, <laughs> and on there you see Lewis Hamilton persevering and being the very best in the sport. Now the question is, does he continue to race? Will he do it now uh, into his his fortieth birthday and beyond? That's uh, what he's entertaining. Uh, if, if Mercedes keeps coming with that check, yeah, I'm gonna keep going. You might be compelled. <laughs> keep Tom, Tom Brady inspires us all, right? Come on, every <laughs> single one of us. Right, listen, everybody, we're out of time, but we're so glad that you swung by for another edition of Forward Progress. We always thank our producer, Pernell Brown, for my partner, Kirk Morrison. I am Jason Jackson. We will see and talk to you next time on Forward Progress. Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.